Amen, brother. Amen. Amen. I'm glad God can answer prayer. And um, we ought to be praying for our nation. Amen. We ought to be praying for our country. And we ought to be praying big prayers. Amen. We ought to be praying big prayers. Uh, there's a lot of times that it seems as if there's no hope in sight. It seems that, you know, there's nothing that can be done. But I'm glad that there is still hope when we seek the Lord and seek God and seek His power and His help. And I'm glad that, you know, God's made a lot of promises, uh, but we do know the nation that forsakes God shall be turned into hell. We can see that direction in our, in our country, but that doesn't give us a uh, right in any way to stop praying and stop working and, and asking God to do uh, what only He can do. I'm, you know, you go back and look through Israel's history. Is it not true that uh, God uh, did some of the greatest works of revival in the darkest days and in the darkest times? And it seems like uh, through modern history, if you look back over the past two, three hundred years, that the greatest uh, revivals that have been recorded whether here in the United States or in other lands through Europe and, uh, and so on, that God would send those revivals in the darkest hour and the darkest day. And boy, I'm glad that God is able to do that work. And, you know, He gets all the glory for it, doesn't He? He gets all the glory uh, whenever we realize that, you know, man has no part. And we just, it takes God, it takes God. But we can, uh, our part is to ask and to seek and uh, knock. And, uh, you know, God did give some, some parameters there for, for the people of God to be involved in some things for us to be involved in, did He not? And um, he that asketh receiveth, he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it the door, God said it shall be open. And God help us to not stop knocking and asking and seeking. And I'm glad that the Lord is still able to do exceeding abundant above all we could ask or think. Let's pray real quick tonight. And the two passages of scripture on my heart, I want to make sure that I preach the message that God has uh, for us tonight. Father, in Jesus' name, I do thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross of Calvary. Lord, I want to be sensitive to you this evening. Lord, I thank you. Uh, for the privilege of standing, Lord, uh, behind this sacred desk, Lord, and preaching the unsearchable riches of the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you, Father, that you would help me tonight, uh, Lord, not to be guilty of grieving you or quenching you in any way. And Father, uh, Lord, I desire, God, to know your perfect will, Lord, in, in the message for this evening. Father, I've tried, Lord, to seek your face, and Lord, I do need your direction, Lord, in this moment. Father, I pray that you help me to be obedient, God, and sensitive to you. I don't deserve anything. Father, I need your power. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to be a vessel in your honor, sanctified, set apart, meet for your use. Lord, will you please bless, God, the preaching of your precious word. God, will you do what only you can do, God, what needs to be done. Oh, God, in my heart, in our hearts tonight, Lord, as a congregation, Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. I'd like you to turn there this evening, if you would, and then if you'd be prepared to turn over to Isaiah chapter 53, and I love the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. That's really where my heart is. That's where we're heading. Uh, if the Lord will help us, uh, if God will touch, uh, like just to kind of use Zechariah chapter 12 uh, as a launching pad for tonight. We'll do just as quickly as we can move out of the way. And um, But I sure do thank the Lord uh, for just God's uh, great faithfulness. And uh, Zechariah chapter 12, Zechariah chapter 12, and uh, we'll read two verses of scripture, and then you can go ahead and be seated tonight, and we will read uh, the remainder of this chapter with God's help. All righty, Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 1. Zechariah 12 and verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel. 
saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and formeth the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. You can go ahead and be seated this evening and we'll continue pick up our reading here in verse 3 and then we'll skip down a couple verses. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. In that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. Let's stop down here and pick up reading again in verse 8. The word of God tells us in that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And he that is feeble among them in that day shall be as David. And the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourns. For his only son, and they shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day, there shall be a, a mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadram in the valley of Megiddo, and the land shall mourn every family apart the family of the house of David apart and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart and their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi apart and their wives apart, the family of the house of Shimei apart and their wives apart. All the families that remain, every family apart and their wives apart. Continue reading one verse here in chapter 13. In that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Look here in Zechariah chapter 14 in verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against the nations as he fought in the day of battle and his feet shall stand in that day upon the mount of olives which is before Jerusalem. Oh yes and the mount shall cleave into the midst thereof uh, towards the east and towards the west and there shall be a very great valley and half of the mountain shall be removed toward the north and half of it towards the south. In, in these three chapters of scripture uh, time after time after time God is making mention of that day. Of that day. There is coming a great day in the, in the history and among the people of Israel. Israel's had a lot of sad days. Israel's had a lot of heartbreaking days. Israel's had a lot of uh, hard experiences in this road of life. Uh, they've been blinded by the veil of Moses for the past 2,000 years and their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and they have uh, every day lived to regret uh, that moment when they cried, crucify him, crucify him. Let his blood be on us and on our children. But according to Zechariah chapter 12, according to Zechariah chapter 13, 13 and 14. There is coming a happier day. There's coming a brighter day in the land of Israel and for the Jewish people. And I'm telling you, I'm excited about it in that day. Now from a prophetical standpoint where we picked up reading here in verse 8 and verse 9 of chapter 12 uh, the tribulation time has already come to an end. Now if you're a born again believer 
If Jesus Christ is your Savior, if you've been washed in the blood, you will not be here for one minute of the tribulation period. Uh, the tribulation is a time of God pouring His wrath out upon those that have rejected the wonderful free gift of salvation. If you're saved, God has not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not looking, dear friend, for the Antichrist. I'm not looking for the one world government system. I'm not looking, dear friend, for the mark of the beast. I will not be here by the grace of God. Amen. The Lord himself shall ascend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise and we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so if we're going to be with the Lord, that means we're not going to be down here. If we're going to be with the Lord, that means we're not going to be here during the tribulation. And that is something to rejoice about today. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. There's comfort for the believer. But if you've never been saved, if you've never been born again, Christ is not your Savior. If you've never passed from death into life, if you've never been made a new creature, dear friend, there's coming a horrible morning. Could be a morning, could be an evening, but there is coming a horrible time in your life when you're going to wake up and there's going to be a whole lot of people missing. The Lord Jesus Christ as a thief in the night will come and those that are saved will be taken away and will be gone out of this mess and you'll be left here to endure seven years of literal hell on earth. It's going to be a horrible time. It's going to be a horrible time. God is going to pour His wrath upon the ungodliness and the wickedness that's going on in this land. And dear friend, there's not going to be anyone exempt from that. There's going to be a time when the sun will be so hot. Uh, God literally uh, tells us in the book of Revelation that literally that the, the sun will be so hot it will melt the skin right off of the bones. Men will seek death and they won't be able to find it. It will be so bad folks trying to commit suicide and they will not be able to end their life. Uh, they're going to go to the rocks or they're going to go to the mountains. And they're going to ask that the mountains would fall upon them. And life is not going to be worth living during that tribulation time. The first uh, three and a half years of it, it's going to seem like peace uh, has finally been reached. The Antichrist is going to set up a false covenant. He's going to confirm that covenant and he's going to set that covenant up. And he's going to sign a contract between Israel and the Arab nations that they've been warring with for all of these years. And, and the world is going to celebrate that finally there is one world peace and there's a one world system and finally we, we got rid of all them crazy Christians that was the problem uh, Brother Terry you see we were the problem we were the, and so we got rid of them Christians and so now uh, we're going to be able to have peace and the world is going to follow this leader I tell you something that's heartbreaking and it ought to make us I mean just extremely burdened when you talk to an Israeli someone who has been born there in Israel I have, I have yet to meet an Israeli who did not think this way about the Messiah. You can talk to them. And now here in America, it differs from, from you know, perspective to perspective. You got a lot of Jewish folks in America. They don't even, they're not even looking for the Messiah. They don't care. I had a dear Jewish man here in Chattanooga. He told me years ago, he said, um, he said, the money that we found here in America and all of our business practice, he said, that's the temple for us. And, and then there, he wasn't joking about it. He was dead serious. But you go to Israel and they are focused on the rebuilding of the temple. That 
That's nothing to get excited about unless you're planning on leaving. That's not going to be the temple that the Lord Jesus Christ rules and reigns. That is going to be the temple that the Antichrist sets up as he makes that covenant with the nation of Israel. And so here's what all this is about. When the Antichrist makes that covenant, he's going to come on the scene. And the nation of Israel is going to accept him and they're going to accept everything that he has to say. Everything. It's heartbreaking. You talk to an Israeli and you say, are you looking for the Messiah? Oh, yes, 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 I'm looking for the Messiah. Well, hey, what do you expect the Messiah to do? How will you know that the man that, you know, whoever he is that claims to be the Messiah, how are you going to know that he is the Messiah? And this is what they tell me every single Israeli I've ever asked that question to. They say, oh, well, I'll tell you how I'm going to know that he really is the Messiah. He's going to be a world leader. He's going to be the greatest politician that's ever lived. He's going to bring peace to Israel. He's going to help all the fighting to stop with all of the Arab nations around us. He's going to be a great leader. You say, well, is he going to be God? Oh, no, no, no. He's not going to be God. He's just going to be a great leader. And I'm excited about the Messiah coming. That's what they say. They don't go to a verse of Scripture. You don't find any Scripture in the Word of God depicting those things being uh, the requirements for the first coming of the Messiah. You see, Israel missed the first coming of their Savior 2,000 years ago. He was to come first as the Lamb of God. He was to come first as the suffering servant. He was to come first as the payment for our sins. And there is coming a day when He is going to rule and reign. But the reason why Israel is looking at that and from that perspective is they rejected the first coming and they're hoping for His second coming. And dear friend, they are going to enjoy neither. They're going to enjoy neither until they find the truth that Jesus Christ has already paid their sin debt. You say, Brother Sam, why are you telling me all this? I'm letting you know that the world is in queue and ready for the Antichrist to come. Now, if you're born again, I'm ready for Jesus to come. Amen? And I'm glad He is coming. It's not going to be long. But dear friend, every I mean, every chapter, every verse of prophecy in the Word of God is, is showing us so very clearly that we are living in this time. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour but we know it is nearer than it ever has been before and Christ explained that to the disciples when they were asking them what should be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world and, and you can see there the preludes uh, to the Lord's return the wars and the famines and the pestilences and the earthquakes and diverse that means different places and, and all these the Lord Jesus said are the beginning of sorrows you see all the, all the pestilence all the disease all the infectious diseases and all of the things that the world is so concerned about today dear friend you can expect it to increase and get worse and worse you know since 2012 there have been more earthquakes reported uh, in the entire time more in two th from 2012 to the current time than the entire span of time that they have been reporting and researching earthquake and seismic activity can you imagine that since 2012 you talk about more than doubling more than tripling more than quadrupling and God said that in those days leading up to the return to the rapture of the church and to that great tribulation time that there would be earthquakes in diverse places oh my pestilences and famines and wars there's more wars going on more fighting more hostility in the world than ever before you look around at our country and the United States of America is looking more and more like a war zone every day and these are just things that are going to happen and dear friend as a believer as a born again Christian 
I'm saddened and I'm heartbroken that these things are happening. But dear friend, I'm looking up. I'm not looking, dear friend, for a politician. I'm not looking, dear friend, for someone to come into Washington, D.C. and clean it up. That They tried and it just got worse. But I'm looking for the Lord Jesus Christ to come one glorious day. And I'm ready to get out of here. Seven years of tribulation will start after the Christ comes back for his church. The Lord himself shall ascend from heaven with a shout, voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. You talk about a reunion day. Not all the dead, the dead in Christ. Those that have put their faith in the shed blood, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And boy, we're going to get to go home together and meet the Lord in the air. But you think about that time. As soon as that takes place, the Antichrist will he'll appear on the scene. He'll claim to have all the answers. And you say, oh, I, I've heard enough Bible preaching, Brother Samuel. I ain't going to follow him. I know I'm not saved, but I've heard enough Bible preaching. I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to try to, yeah, I'll find some way to work around. No, you won't. The Word of God tells us in the book of Thessalonians that you will be sent a strong delusion. Second Thessalonians, God said, you'll be sent strong delusions. And you'll believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Ain't that amazing that, um, Brother Proctor, the reason why they didn't believe the truth, they could have believed the truth, but the reason why they didn't believe the truth is because they had pleasure in unrighteousness. They said, I would rather, so I know it's true, but I'm not going to believe it. Because I'd rather enjoy my sin. I'm not even going to consider the claims of Christ. Because, you know, I like the things of this world a little bit better. I like leaning on my own understanding. I like resting in my own intellect. I like doing my own thing. I like being the, I like charting my own course and, and being the, the director of my life. And, and they believe not. Because they have pleasure in unrighteousness. And dear friend, there's coming a day when their souls will be damned. They will experience the judgment of God. And they will experience, uh, before hellfire, they will experience a time of great trouble in the middle of the tribulation time. And I know we're kind of maybe just having a brief overview here tonight. But in the, in the tribulation time, oh, how sad it's going to be in the middle. Oh, it's going to seem like everything's going okay. And then Christ is going to break that covenant with Israel. He's going to walk into the temple. He's going to declare that he... He is God. You see, the Jews are not going to accept him as God. That's why they didn't accept Christ. They don't believe the Messiah is going to be God. They're just looking for someone to bring them deliverance from all the fighting. That's all they're looking for. Oh, but my, 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 my. Whenever they see that contract, whenever they see that covenant is broken, they're going to realize we missed it. We followed the wrong man. And it's going to be a horrible time. Oh, my two-thirds of the nation of Israel are going to be killed. You can read that in Zechariah chapter 13, that two-thirds. Think about if two-thirds of Israel is going to be destroyed, if we just go off of modern numbers today, oh, my, that's, that's millions upon millions. Uh, even more than the Holocaust are going to be killed during that time. And countless others are going to die as well. And at that point, the visible wrath and judgment of God is going to be revealed upon this world like never before. God talks about hailstones of a hundred pound weight. Now, you know what little golf ball size hailstones can do to the hood of a car or the windshield or the windows of a house? Or Can you imagine hailstones of a hundred pound weight running to the basement and the cellar is not going to keep you safe from those? You're talking about a time of judgment. God, God said the stars are going to fall from heaven. And dear friend, the earth is going to reel to and fro and, and, and the, the waters are going to be turned into blood just like they were during the days of Egypt as God pours His wrath out. And even in the midst of all of that, those that have rejected and rejected and rejected, they're still going to wave their fist in God's face 
And they're going to choose to not repent of their wickedness and their fornication and their ungodliness and their witchcraft and their, and their sorceries and, and their idolatries and their adulteries. They're going, to, they're going to continue on in their wickedness. You see, dear friend, though, as the tribulation comes to an end, Israel is hiding out. They've gone there to the rocks and the caves. You have a small remnant here in Jerusalem. And they're just trying to do their best to hide from the Antichrist. And in the very moment when it seems like all hope is lost. I mean, it seems like there is no more hope. It seems like there's no more place to run. It seems like there's nobody else to turn to. Everything that could go wrong for the nation of Israel has. Tribulation time is referred to in the word of God as Jacob's trouble. And it is the trouble for the seed of Jacob, the nation of Israel. In the midst of their trouble though, in that day, that final day of the tribulation period, in that day, Antichrist is going to have gathered all them nations together trying to kill every Jew they can. Trying to kill everyone of the house of Israel that he can. And in that day shall the Lord, we're reading verse 8 of chapter 12. And in that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. And the house of David shall be as God. As the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass in that day. God said that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Oh my, you talk about you talk about a mighty day. You think about just one day, just one day. Brother Poindexter, in one day, God is going to do what the past 73 years as Israel has pushed through and strived and worked uh, to, I mean, all the wars and all the fighting, all the meetings at the United Nations, uh, all of the struggle. I mean, dear friend, in one day, God is going to fix what all of the conflicts in these years couldn't fix in just one day. God said, I'm going to seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Oh, dear friend, that's going to be someday. But I tell you what makes me a little bit more excited than that. We read here in chapter 14 that in that day his feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives. In that day, dear friend, the Lord Jesus Christ is getting ready to set up his millennial kingdom. Talking about a thousand years of the Lord Jesus Christ ruling and reigning with a rod of iron. Oh dear friend you talk about a happy day. You talk about a glad day. And, and dear friend what 6,000 years of human government could not obtain trying to find the formula for peace in one day. In one day. God is going to set up his earthly kingdom. Oh my. I don't want to be one of them armies trying to fight against Israel. I'd hate the Lord. I'd hate for the Lord trying to destroy me because dear friend he's going to succeed. It don't matter how many uh, missiles they have death to Israel rode on in Iran tonight. In that day the Lord is going to seek to destroy all the nations. But in that day he's going to set up his millennial kingdom. And, and I tell you what makes me even more joyful than that. We get to come back and rule and reign with Christ. Oh, but dear friend, verse 10. God said, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And here it is. And they shall look upon me. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. 
They're going to look upon them. You see, for 2,000 years, Israel has lived with the veil of Moses because of their rejection of their Messiah, their true Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. But in that day, in that day, all of the blindness, all the false teaching of the rabbis, all of the rejection of their Messiah, all of the rejection of their God, all the rejection of their Savior, in one day, God said, they shall look upon me. They're going to see him as a nation. They're going to see him nationally. They're going to see him whom they have pierced. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And God said they shall mourn. They shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. This is Jehovah God speaking. I'm telling you talk about a text verse to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is God Almighty. Amen. Who was pierced? The Lord Jesus Christ was. Jehovah God's talking in this chapter and he said they're going to look on me whom they have pierced. The Lord Jesus said when you see me, he said you see the Father. Oh my. And they're going to look upon me whom they have pierced and in that day all Israel shall be saved. You talk about a happy day. Oh my, you talk about a happy day. Chapter 13, he said, In that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. God is going to take care of Israel's sin problem. But let me tell you something here. I tell you, this is what just God burned in my heart today and we'll be done. A preacher mentioned this to me a couple years ago. He said, Brother Samuel, he said, I believe that Isaiah chapter 53. He said, I believe it's not only the greatest prophecy depicting what Jesus Christ would do in his work and pain for sin. He said, I not only believe that it's the greatest Old Testament prophecy about Christ. He said, I really feel in my heart. Isaiah chapter 53 is also prophetic, talking about the, the cry, that the nation of Israel, the prayer that they may utter in that day when they look upon their Savior whom they've rejected all of these years. And I, I kind of just, I, I said, well, brother, I've never heard about that. I said, that sounds really interesting. And one afternoon, I went back and read this chapter, the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Brother Laddie, got here to verse 3. And it was almost like a bomb exploded in my heart. Oh my. I can see it clearly. And I, I believe with all my heart that dear preacher was right. I believe this is not only prophesying what Jesus would do. We, we know that beyond any shadow of a doubt. I believe this is prophesying also the prayer of the nation of Israel in that day. When they look upon their Savior. Their deliverer. He saved them from the destruction of the armies trying to kill every one of them. But now... He's going to save them spiritually as well. And in that day, listen to verse 3. The whole chapter is great for sake of time. But listen to verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. You see, Israel thought that God 
was judging Jesus Christ for his sin. And they completely missed it. Oh no, God was judging the Lord Jesus for our sin. Israel said, yeah, let his blood be on us and on our children. Crucify him, crucify him. He said he's the son of God. Somebody ought to kill him. Somebody ought to put him on a cross. Somebody ought to do away with him, away with him. They said, yeah, he's getting what he deserves. We thought he was smitten of God. But in that day, in verse 5, they're going to realize, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He wasn't wounded for his transgressions. In him was no sin. There was no guile found in his mouth. Oh my. An impeccable reputation. No sin, no uncleanness. No spot. The pure Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He who knew no sin... He became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He got what we deserved. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes, we are healed. Oh, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But listen to this. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, God could only allow the pure and the spotless and the clean to make a temporary covering for sin during the Old Testament sacrifice. The lamb had to be without spot. The lamb had to be without blemish. There could be no spot on it. There could be no blemish. And dear friend, God could not move the sin of the world and the sin of His people and the sin of all mankind upon somebody who was tainted and ungodly. That's why Jesus Christ had to be born of a virgin just like Isaiah prophesied in the 14th chapter. In the 7th chapter in the 14th verse. That's why he had to live that perfect life. Dear friend, that's why there could be no spot or no blemish on him. That's why he did no sin. He did not sin and he could not sin. He was God's perfect lamb. He was God's perfect sacrifice. The payment for our sin. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Can you see our Savior standing before Pilate, not uttering a word to him as the chief priest and the elders are accusing him of many things? He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? Verse 9, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Can you see our Savior hanging between two thieves, buried in a rich man's tomb? Can you see Israel on that day as that blindness gets taken off of their heart? And they say, that's him. That's him. That's who Isaiah was prophesying about. That's who the scriptures were speaking about. He made his grave with the wicked. And in a complete, utter astonishment, I'll say in verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. God was pleased. Jehovah God was pleased to bruise him. He had put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering, an offering for sin. You see, dear friend, the Lord Jesus Christ was, was wounded for your transgressions and for my transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities and for my iniquities. The chastisement of our peace 
upon him. You hear folks quote this scripture and they talk about the, you know, with his stripes we're healed and, and they try to believe that means physical healing. That's talking about spiritual healing, dear friend. Oh, until you've been, until you've come to that place of faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can never experience joy and peace and rest. You can't. With his stripes we're healed. But you see something amazing here, closing tonight. God goes into great detail in, Zachari- in the end of Zechariah chapter 12. He tells us about this day. They're going to look upon me, he said, whom they have pierced. But look what the result is. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. God said in verse 11, in that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem. In verse 12 he said, and the land shall mourn every family apart. God goes through and lists the house of David, lists the house of Nathan, the house of Levi, the house of Shimei. God said, all the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart. I believe with all my heart the reason why God has gone into great detail to explain to us almost four and a half verses of what this mourning process looks like. God is wanting us to realize there's coming a day in Israel's history when not only they as a nation will take responsibility for their part in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. It's not only going to be, it will be nationally, but it's not only going to be nationally. It's also going to be individually. Every family apart. So now we've moved from the nation down to the family. Not only every family apart, but every individual inside that family. God said, the family apart and their wives apart. You wonder what that tells me? God does not look at a saved man and excuse the lost condition of his wife. That tells me God does not look at a saved lady and excuse the lost condition of her husband. God does not look at a Christian couple, husband and wife, happily married, and excuse the lost condition of their children. God said in that day, every family apart and their wives apart. Every member of that household, every family is going to break off apart, find a place of repentance and brokenness for sin, and begin to weep over the sacrifice that Jesus Christ paid on Calvary. Them personally in that day. And here's what they're going to say But he was wounded for my transgressions. You know, a transgression is an outward sin. Now, growing up in a Christian home or growing up in a moral home, the list of your transgressions may not be too great. Your outward sins. The problem is, there's a list. And it only takes one mark in the sight of God to condemn you to hell because God demands righteousness. God demands total perfection. He said, be ye holy for I am holy. We're told in the word of God, Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned. And what did he say? We've come short. We've come short of the glory of God. It don't matter how good you've been. I'm glad if you, I mean, if you try to do right, if you try to be good, try to be moral, that's great. Make your community a little bit of a better place, but that doesn't get you to heaven. Because here's the thing. 
You and I both have come short of God's glory. God will not allow any unrighteousness in the heavens. God said there will be no abominable thing enter there. No liars shall have their part in that city. Your list tonight may be great transgressions. It may be small. Transgressions are those outward sins. And the Word of God tells us, but He, verse 5 of Isaiah 53, but He was wounded for our transgression. He said, Brother Samuel, what are all them Jewish folks mourning about? Zechariah 12. They're mourning over their transgressions. And they're mourning over their rejection of what Jesus did on Calvary to pay for it. They're mourning over the way they turned away for so long, for so many years. They're mourning over their sins. But dear friend, He was not only wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was bruised for our iniquities. Bruise is an inward wound. Blood will not flow outwardly, but the, sco- the color of the skin will change and there's inward bleeding. Can you see our Savior tonight on the cross of Calvary? Not only bearing open wounds for our open sin, but bearing inward wounds for our inward sin, our iniquity. You see, you may be squeaky clean as far as your police record, what people think about you, what people seen you do. But see, man looking at the outward appearance, God judges the heart. Nation of Israel is a pretty moral nation as far as the orthodox side are concerned, the religious side. Oh, they live clean. The problem with all that is just simply this. God sees their heart. God sees the envy. God sees the pride. God sees the hatred. God sees the, the lust. You know, the word of God, Christ, there in the Gospel of Matthew, said, Whoso looketh on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery already in his heart. God sees all of that. Dear friend, the Lord Jesus Christ did not stop paying for sin by paying for the outward sin. He paid for the inward sin. And in that day, every family, every family is going to mourn apart. They are going to personally accept responsibility and they're going to say, He was wounded for me. He was bruised for me. He bore my sin. I rejected Him, but I'm not rejecting Him anymore. Piano, go ahead and play. Start playing tonight. My question is just simply this. God, burn this in my heart this afternoon. Every head bowed and every eye closed. There may be, no doubt, somebody here tonight. You may have religion. You may be moral. You may know a lot about the things of God. You may be in church every Sunday. I'm thankful for that. But has there ever been a time in your life when the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, became personal in your heart and in your life? Has there ever been a time when you realized He died for me? He was wounded for me. He paid my sin debt. Has there ever been a time in your life Individually, you begin to mourn over the way you've broken God's law. 
offended a thrice holy God. Israel will not be restored until Israel comes to that place of repentance and a willingness and a brokenness over their sin and turning to their Messiah. God said in that day, He's going to open a fountain in the house of David for sin and for uncleanness. God's going to make a way for their sin to be clean if they'll turn back to Him. Tonight, though, that fountain's already open for you and me. You better not wait till that day. For you, dear friend, that day will be too late. That'll be Israel's day. The way's been made plain tonight. Salvation in Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. The book of Ephesians tells us. That not of yourself. See, Christ made the way of salvation. You can't make your own way. By grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God wants to change your life. He really does. Today could be the greatest day when you pass from death unto life. Today could be the greatest day when the peace of God that passes all understanding become a reality in your heart. But you have to be willing to humble yourself just like the nation of Israel does and say, Lord, you're right, I'm wrong. Lord, you're holy, I'm not. I've sinned against you. God, if I compare myself with others, I may be okay, but Lord, when I compare myself with you and your holiness and your righteousness, the Word of God tells us we're all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are as filthy rags. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Let's stand to your feet this evening. If God spoke into your heart tonight, the altar's open. It might be a little bit different to preach this way on, on, on a Wednesday night, but God put this message on my heart. Never get over Calvary. God, help us to never get over what Christ did. Maybe you're here tonight and uh, no doubt mostly, mostly church folk, members here at Bible. Maybe you ought to find a place around this altar and say, Lord, I want to say thank you for taking my iniquity. I don't know, maybe it's been a while since you just said, Lord, thank you. Thank you for Calvary. Thank you for being wounded for me. Thank you for being bruised for me. Thank you for paying my sin debt. Thank you for the joy and the peace and the rest of knowing that I'm on, I'm on my way to heaven, not because of what I have done, but because of what Jesus Christ the righteous did. Because of his death, his payment, his resurrection, third day. He's seated at the right hand of the Father this evening. He ever liveth to make intercession for our sins. Dear friend, he's able to save unto the uttermost all that come unto God by him. You ain't coming to God unless you come through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Brother, go ahead and sing for us tonight. If you need to pray, if you need to thank the Lord, you might be here and be lost. If you are tonight, there's no better time to escape the wrath of God than right now.